Shalom, everyone, and welcome to Bread for the Journey, our global online Bible study fellowship. And when I say ours, it is Jesus Christ. He is the head of his body, his church, and we are the ecclesia, uh, the body of the Messiah joining together from places around the globe, wherever uh, you are participating from, and we're all coming together um, to fellowship around God's word and over what we've been reading in the book of Leviticus. And if you're new with us, uh, just to give you a little bit of insight about what's going on, my name is Krista Smith, and I'm one of the facilitators uh, with Tour of Truth for this online Bible study, along with Pastor Sylvia Laughlin and Pastor Jed Robine. And um, we are meeting with believers uh, to fellowship over God's word. We're following a, a one-year Bible study reading plan, which you can download at the website, tourofTruth.com, or you can find the app and follow along that way as well. Um, and so if you're new to us, new with us, um, we want to invite you to jump in. You don't have to start back for all the days. We're on day 52. You don't have to start back on day one. You can start right where we are and just continue the journey with us. And we'll start over in our reading uh, in Genesis when we get to January next year. So you'll still get to follow along if we just keep going. Um, and so we are here for fresh manna, a fresh word from the Lord as we um, share what we've been um, studying over this past week. And Pastor Jed, before we get started, would you mind opening us up in prayer uh, before Pastor Sylvia takes over today? She's going to be facilitating our meeting uh, this evening. Absolutely. Thanks, Krista. Good evening, everyone. Looking forward to diving into the Word together tonight. So let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you that we could come into your presence tonight as brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, I just think about uh, what's going on in the world right now. And I'm thankful that you're on your throne and that you, um, your plan is going according to your purpose. And we're just here to tell you that we love you. We worship you. We need you. We need your word. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray uh, particularly for Ukraine right now and all that's going on there. Um, Lord, we just pray your will be done. We do with our brothers and sisters and uh, just the leaders of different countries and powers. Lord, we, we command us to pray for the leaders. So we just pray for hearts to turn to you, um, Lord, and above all, you, you would exalt the name of Jesus. And so we come to you, Lord, we thank you, thankful that we can come to you in times of pressure, times of uh, just questions, in need of truth, in need of love, in need of peace. Um, we know there's a lot of different needs, even on this call, just different family members and different medical needs issues going on, financial pressures, when we just come to you with all that we are and ask for you to meet with us tonight as we look at your word and ask that you would speak and grant us wisdom and understanding, revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Thank you for Sylvia, Lord, for uh, her heart, for who she is uh, as a servant. And we just pray your Holy Spirit would speak through her tonight as she kind of sets the table for us to dive into uh, to the book of Leviticus tonight, but we thank you for your word and we pray you be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
before um, Pastor Sylvia starts, I just wanted to set up quickly uh, a couple of comments about the book of Leviticus. You know, there are a lot of people who set out to read the Bible all the way through and actually get stuck in Leviticus. And I'm one of those that has had that happen a time or two. And if you, that's you, I just want to say you're not alone. Leviticus is um, a difficult book to read. And it's for, I think, three main reasons. And the first um, is just that in comparison to a lot of the other books, it might be considered a little bit of a boring book. Um, and it's kind of like, I would equate it to sometimes, um, you know, potentially like, remember the phone book, like maybe trying to read a telephone directory kind of. So it, it's just really different is what I'm trying to get at than a lot of the other books of the Bible, especially Genesis and Exodus, you know, which are full of stories um, and we're following these narratives and they can be exciting. But when we get to Leviticus, there's really not any narrative. And the second reason it can be difficult is because um, much of what we're reading is not, um, as, it's not very familiar to us. It's from a different culture. Um, and it, it includes some weird activities. You know, we don't come to church today and arrive carrying a little lamb or a pigeon to give the pastor who then slits its throat in front of the whole congregation. We just don't. You know, and, and there's reasons we don't because we know that Jesus fulfilled um, these things, these ordinances that God had put, put in place, which we realized were types and shadows of Christ that we began to start un understanding why these things were happening and how Jesus was the fulfillment as we're reading this and as we're learning all the way through God's word. And so the third reason that it might be difficult is that um, on the surface, it might seem irre irrelevant to you today. You know, it might seem like, well, what does Leviticus have to do with us today? Because, you know, we're not under Moses's law anymore. Uh, you know, we're under the law of Christ. And so how does this, how does this apply to us today? But in reality, you know, I think what we'll see and what Pastor Sylvia is going to share is that it actually has a lot to say about about uh, our God. You know, it's, it's uh, giving us a lot of relevance in that we begin to understand um, our father and his ways and the ways he was instructing his people. And so this book might not be as exciting as Exodus, but it shows us that God expects something from us in return for what he has done for us. Now, salvation is a free gift, but we are called to be holy. And we start to see this in this foreshadow from this time that he was dealing with his people. And so we're being reminded here that we are saved in order to serve. And Exodus, you know, shows us how God saved his people. We saw how he's brought them out. But now Leviticus, he's explaining how they are to serve him. And so without further ado, I will turn it over to Pastor Sylvia. You know, I find it so interesting because I remember when I first began and decided to get serious about reading the Bible, reading all of it from cover to cover. And I remember that people warned me and they said, mm -mm, stay away from uh, Leviticus, Job and the book of Revelation. Well, I can go on and tell you that those books have become my very favorite. And I absolutely love, love, love the book of Leviticus. Why? Because in this book, you do see the father and his great love for each and every one of us. I'm amazed that we serve a God that is the one that flung the very stars into the sky 
and he names each one of them. There are billions of them, but yet he is concerned about every aspect of our lives. He is concerned about every detail and everything. Why? Because he is a personal detail God. I love how he made provisions. He, did, he was not one who, uh, in a culture that we live in now, oftentimes you can feel like, well, you know, if I'm not in the billion dollar category or the millions or whatever, I don't have any value. God gave value to everyone. And I love the fact he said, look, if you don't have a ram, you don't have a goat or a sheep, don't worry about it. Cause I'm gonna provide you with some turtle doves. I will provide you with some pigeons and I'll have them fly into your backyard and you'll be able to present those. Why? Because God cares about every detail and everything. And when he made the commandment that no one is to appear before him empty handed, he was also saying, you don't have to worry about that because I'm your provider and I will provide for you. When we look at the framework of the book of Leviticus, remember that Exodus, he brings them out, but he brought them out of Egypt. They were surrounded by a culture that everything was a God. And there were so many things that were coming and they were kind of anybody and everybody did it kind of reminds me of today. And God is saying, I'm bringing you out so that there'll be a distinction. Oh, come on Christians, because there's supposed to be one between us and the world as well, so that everyone will know who my people are, because they behave, they carry themselves, and their standards are different. And all will see through them my holiness, my glory, and come to know exactly who I am. I want to challenge you that you will love the book of Leviticus. Why also we see love, 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 but we see Christ, Christ, Christ all through the book of Leviticus. It is a most exciting book. And so I'm gonna give it to you as simple as possible and allow you to be able to glean what is there and rejoice in the Lord. Amen. As we get started. All right, here we go. The book of Le Leviticus, literally what God is saying is that he is setting, he was setting them apart for God's holy use. It's the same thing that he desires to do today is for us to set us apart, to set us apart from what? The world, the world standards, and how the world does what it does. In essence, he brought them out from among them, out from among the Egyptians, and now he's saying to you and I, come out from among them. His theme is, be holy as I am holy. When we look at the graph here, I'm showing you God, of course, is holy. And then there is Israel. It is the theme that is a universal theme. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it has not changed. Now, holy does not mean perfect, yet he tells us to be perfect because we're perfected in Christ. But I want you to focus on the holiness of being set apart for God, to be used by God so that God's glory can, hallelujah, be seen. He says, thus you ought to be holy to me, for I am the Lord, I am holy. 
I have set you apart from the people to be mine. Holy means to be set apart. Now we find that in Leviticus 20 and 26. God is holy. And again, he is far greater in love, in goodness, in power, and more just, in more justice than humans. You know, God is 100% love. He is 100% goodness. He's 100% powerful and 100% just. Now, if you look at the graph, you'll see with man, mm -mm, we're kind of sort of up and down and all over the place, but never that way with God. Bottom line is, the closer you get to God, the purer you have to be. And what God was showing them in Leviticus, he was breaking it down so they can understand holy, unholy, clean, unclean, common, uncommon, what is appropriate, how do you approach God, and what is inappropriate, and what is profane. This is not about good or bad, but it's about a sense of purity. God was trying to purify them because, again, he was bringing them out of the system of Egypt. And he was bringing them in to a fellowship, a relationship with a holy, with a righteous God. Here's the quick outline of uh, Leviticus. Chapter one, the holy priest. And it is how to give offerings. That's chapter one through seven. B, uh, B is Aaron and his sons ordained. You're going to find that in chapter eight through 10. And then C, the cleanliness laws for the congregation, 11 and 15. Now, then the second part after the holy priest is simply the holy place, chapter 16, and the holy people, 17 through chapter 27. God, Moses, and the people. So when you look and you are reading, that's the narrative. That's the story. That is God, Moses, and the people. When I tell you that Christ fulfilled the uh, Christ fulfilled the offerings in the book of Leviticus, and we're going to look at those. Christ paid the price in full. He paid the price in full. We're going to start out by showing you these offerings and how and what Christ did in each one of them. See, the five offerings of Leviticus in chapter one through seven, in these five offerings, we must understand the wonderful presentation. It is a type and a shadow of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. John 1, 2, and 9. All these offerings together give us a few, a full view of his great sacrificial work on the cross of Calvary. They're like mirrors arrayed so that we can see him and the cross, and each one uh, reflects a special view of his person and his work. See, the blood of animals could not pay the price, only the blood of the Lamb of God, John 1 and 29. The first offering was the burnt offering, and Christ is offering himself up to God as himself. And it is even unto death. 
Now let's look at it. I want you to bring in your five senses because see, that's what the book of Leviticus does. It requires us to be able to bring in the sense of smell, the sense of sight, hearing, the sense of taste and of touch. And that is, it is again in the burnt offering. It's a sweet smelling savor unto God's nostrils. It pictures Christ who gave himself as a sacrifice to God. You can follow that in the New Testament in Ephesians 5 and 2. He is, he is not in this note, notice he's not bearing our sins. He is accomplishing the father's will, glorifying him, vindicating the holiness and the majesty of his throne. Now for future reference and for additional reading, look at the gospel of John and Psalms 40. Second one was the meal offering. It is it was perfect and sinless. It's spotless life, sweet savor unto God, no shedding of blood. It speaks of the perfection of Christ, his life rather than his death. The fine flower pictures his sinless humanity, evenness of moral qualities. The oil pictures, the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit characterize his life. The frankincense is the sweetness and the fragrance of his person and life. Are you seeing Christ? Because that's what God is, God is displaying and depicting in these offerings. Again, Christ told us he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill them. And I hope on tonight you see the fulfilling work of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The third one is the peace offering. Again, it is the sweet Savor unto God. It is the reason why you and I are able to come boldly into the throne room of God because God sees, He smells, He remembers all of those things in which Christ did. He Christ is the one that's put on the altar as the food of the offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is, He is God's part, Leviticus 3 and 11. The breast and the right shoulder given to Aaron and his son, that's man's power, man's part. Are you seeing now God and man sharing in this? God and man feeding on the same offering, communion and fellowship. That's what this is representing. His blood was shed on the cross for our sins. We have peace with God through his work on the cross. Additional reading, look at the Gospel of Luke and Psalms 85. The fourth one was the sin offering. Christ was forsaken of God as a sin bearer for us. It is a non-sweet savoring offering. The whole bullock, that's the bull, was burnt upon the ground outside the camp. If you think about Calvary, Christ was outside the camp, outside the city. The blood and the flood and the fat was put upon the altar for God. See, this is the picture to us of Christ who was made sin for us. And that's 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Here's what I want you to understand. He 
did not. Christ never sinned. Amen. He didn't become sin. What happened is, is that God imputed his sin on him the same way the scripture says that it, Abraham's faith was imputed to him as righteousness. Glory be unto God. Christ was perfect from start to finish. He never sinned. But God, in how that worked between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they know they figured it out. And he, it was imputed on him. And God's response to all the sin was put upon Christ. And he took our punishment, hallelujah, so that we could receive his righteousness and be the sons of God. Glory be unto God. He endured the judgment and the wrath of God against sin. He was the substitute for us. The holiness of God and the awfulness of sin are brought out by that bolite being completely burned up outside the camp. Again, read in the Gospel of Mark and Psalms 22. The fifth offering is the trespass offering. And, uh, and it is against the government of God. We've trespassed against the government of God. This amends for the wrong to the fifth part. In other words, God said, in order for you to fully be able to overcome, you've got to add on to your debt to the fifth part. It was the atonement that was made by his blood. The trespasser was forgiven. See, the Christ's blood atoned for our sins. We are the trespassers and we have been forgiven through Christ Jesus. Christ died for our sins and trespasses on the cross. He restored us. Look at Psalm 69 and four. He answered God for our sins. He paid the full price for our debt by shedding his blood. And he added the fifth part. He brought more glory to God, more blessing to man than before the sin was committed. Again, I'm going to tell you that again. He brought more glory to God, more blessing to man than before the sin was committed. Now we're going to look at a few questions that I want you to mold over and think, amen. Here are the questions that, because I know that you have been reading, I know that you have looked at the book of Leviticus and what we wanna discuss around it. Anyone can look at these and you can start. What does God, what is a voltage offering? Why does God make a difference between intentional and unintentional sin? What laws were given in exact response to pagan practices? How does this apply to us today? Were non-Jews allowed to participate in the sacrificial system? And what is meant by strange fire? And is ignorant, ignorance a valid excuse before God? Hey, y'all. Um... Just wanted so now I, I haven't had a chance to kind of mull over the questions yet. <laughs> They're really good ones, um, but something that in our reading kind of um, came to me that I thought I might ask everyone's opinion on is that um, after um, the Israelites built the tabernacle, um, set up 
the holiest of holies and um, God's presence descended upon the holiest of holies and then um, remained as a cloud um, during the day and then a fire at night. Do you think that that cloud and that presence was the Holy Spirit since we the people did not have the Holy Spirit within them at the time, because obviously we did not receive that until after Christ was sacrificed. And then the Holy Spirit came to everybody. Do you think that that was God's way of introducing the Holy Spirit into his people's lives by having this, the presence? Or do you think that that was just God's presence? Well, when we um, look at the scripture itself, it tells us that the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night was Christ. But where you can see that the spirit came is when he chose the individuals that he did. When he told Moses in the book of Exodus that he was going to um, the individuals in which he would use in order to build the things that he required to be created. He said that he had placed his spirit in them. So for me, that is God showing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And why? Because think about it this way. They were slaves for over 400 years. They did not go to trade school. They had not gone to colleges, universities. They had no uh, PhDs, no masters. They were not skilled. What they did do was they took straw and from straw, they were able to make brick. But everything that was in God's eyes to do, they had the ability to do it. That ability was supernatural and it came from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come for them to be able to perform or do a specific thing. Unlike us, through Christ Jesus, because he prayed for the Father to send another comforter, and we have been sealed with the seal of adoption, the Holy Spirit. So therefore, when we receive Christ Jesus, he is always in us, uh, and that is the difference. But the scripture tells us that the pillar of fire by day, the uh, cloud by day, and also the rock in which the water came out of was Christ Jesus. And then we also see other times in the scripture where Christ, though he was not born yet, he actually is visibly and seen in the Old Testament. I would just say there's a, uh, just a Courtney's question. There's a really great book by Asher Intrader, who's a uh, messianic leader in Israel. It's called Who Ate Lunch with Abraham? And if you want to go on this little rabbit hole of what Sylvia is talking about, which is the pre-incarnate uh, visitations of Christ, Asher does a whole uh, discussion about how he believes in the ancient Hebrew. They talk about the, the angel of the Lord was with the people of Israel in the desert. And he's saying that the angel of the Lord is a reference to Christ. So he explains it all. I, I'm not going to be able to do it justice and and go through all the proofs of that or anything like that. And it's it's just a fun book to kind of think about these things of you know Melchizedek and the and you know in Genesis we talked about and you know Genesis chapter 18. These three men, the Lord comes to eat 
lunch with Abraham and there's these three men that they're having this conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we talk about in the garden, you know, who was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. In order to walk, you have to have legs. You have to have a physical frame. So, you know, Asher kind of unpacks some of these things. So, Courtney, if you're interested in kind of going down that, uh, just recommend that book, Who Ate Lunch with Abraham. Awesome. Thank you so much. Could could you explain what she just asked? Because we it was very, um, we didn't hear her directly in the microphone. Okay. All righty. The question was, what does it mean by strange fire? And is it in, rela in relationship to what we see in the book of Leviticus, in particularly Moses' two sons, when they present a fire on the altar of the Lord that is other than the fire that God was going to present himself? Amen. Uh, and the question was, is, is it some other place or some other meaning for that? So uh, before I chime in, I'm going to see if anyone else has any thoughts or any ideas. What is what does it mean by strange fire? Something unholy or unpleasing to the Lord, like coming in the wrong way. Amen. Did you all hear that? Uh, Therese is here. She said something uh, unholy, unpleasing to the Lord coming in the wrong way. Anyone else? What's strange fire? I think strange fire is the was the fire that was presented the the way the Lord didn't want it to be presented. So like the directions he had given um, on how to present offerings, I think the strange fire was something done the wrong way, or or to say the way that he actually he didn't. The directions, they didn't follow the directions that the Lord gave. That's what I think. Amen. Someone else, one more person. What is strange fire? Well, we know it was enough for them to die, so what is strange fire? And Rachel alluded to it, and all of it came out in the same way. God had given specifics on what was to be done. He, again, was taking a people that was custom to doing whatever, however, and now he's fine-tuning and he's saying, I'm bringing you out from among them. I know that you've been desensitized to me as the one and only God because you've been in Egypt surrounded by many gods seeing all kinds of things. But I'm telling you that it must be done this way. It's kind of like this. You know, if God gives us instructions on how to do something, and if you do 95%, we pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, we did a great job for the Lord. Kind of like what in 1 Samuel, Saul felt that same way. King Saul, that's who I'm talking about. But God, again, was teaching them to obey him and to do it exactly the way that he told them. So strange fire is presenting something unto God according to what you think, how you think it ought to be done, uh, and presenting it and expecting God to receive it. Amen. God was the one that was going to bring fire down from heaven. 
He did not ask them to light their, uh, light their own devices and present it on the altar. He did not. He told them to present the offering. He was going to do the rest. We can see that as we continue on reading over and over again. Again, uh, I know we're ahead and some may be just starting out, but when you get to read about the offering that um, Samson's family made, fire came down. When you go back to Abraham and see Abraham and the fire, Abraham didn't create it, God did. So again, God told them what to do. He expected them to obey, to do it the way he said, and then trust him that he would do his part. Strange fire is presenting something unto God that is contrary to what God has asked and what God has said, and then expecting God to receive it and to be pleased, and he is not. There's an application for us today also with considering what it means what strange fire means, because when you put it into the perspective of it's trying to come to God in a way other than what he told us, you know, a way, you know, thinking that we're approaching the Lord um, just because we're approaching God, but not coming through Jesus would be strange fire. You know, mm -hmm. he's the only way. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. We have to come the way God has told us. You know, and there's other things too, I think could be, um, that should cause us to pause and consider, you know, we have also been commanded in scripture to be baptized. Some people just decide not to do it and feel like they don't need to. I feel like it's a personal thing that you do have to search out for yourself with what you believe the Lord is saying to you and what the scriptures say. But, um, could that be a thing, you know, to not, to try to come in a way you know, when the word says that, uh, you know, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you've been baptized uh, by uh, water um, and the spirit, you know, so, you know, we keep trying to come in our own way and approach God, you know, even uh, to try to um, continue in the relationship with God if we want, if we carry iniquity in our heart, because the Bible says if you cherish iniquity in your heart, then I will not hear your prayer, you know? So it's just, I don't know. These are things that I'm not saying in a legalistic way that anything that I'm saying is absolute. I'm saying there are things to ponder in our hearts as we seek out our salvation with fear and trembling, you know, because the Bible talks about in Matthew seven, that many are going to come who think that they're They've come in the right way that they've been serving the Lord because he says they're going to say, well, hey, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we, you know, worship in the, in your courts and in your presence? And he's going to say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. You know, so to me, I just think um, when we talk about things like this that are from the Old Testament and it's we're talking about something that's strange fire and we're thinking about the fire coming down on the altar. We know God is a consuming fire. And yet he's told us today that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, you know, holy, acceptable and pleasing unto the Lord. And when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, what does he do that we see with the sacrifice that gets presented on the fire on the altar? He consumes it. You know, so it's like we have to be fully submitted to the Lord to be consumed by that fire, allowing him to do this work. It's just really deep, I think. You know, that's all I'm saying is I just think there's just so much in 
what's being said and what we can ponder in our heart over the word that we should really be pondering these things because they're they're very meaningful. Chris and I truly agree with you because here's what we need to understand when we look in the book of Leviticus. What God is trying to show us is that he and he alone determined what was acceptable. Amen. It was no individual. He told them what his standards were and he expected them to comply. And when we present like they did a uh, offering unto the Lord of ourselves, God is the one that decides whether it is acceptable or not. So if we come according to the the conditions, because he is the God of conditions. He's the God of standards. It's one of the reasons why I love the book of Leviticus. And if we can take our mind from thinking that it's nice suggestions when he lays out what they are to do and how they are to do it during the book of Leviticus, expand our mind and say that God is commanding that for the burnt offering, you bring this, you do this, and this is the way it's supposed to be done. And when you do that, you're going to get God's results. If you don't do it, then you're going to get the opposite of what he wanted to do, and it won't be good. So we must ponder these things because he did not give us all 66 books to, for us to think that only the New Testament applies to us. All of it applies. And as Jesus said, he fulfilled the things of the law, but he did not do it so that we could remain in ignorance. We could remain in sin. He did it so, again, we are free from sin, and now we are able through and by the power of the Holy Spirit, able to do it exactly how God wanted it to do. Strange fire is presenting to God anything that is contrary to what God said and how he wanted it done. Glory be unto God. And again, as I said, it's not good enough that we, you know, okay, well, God, I kind of sort of did it. If you look at 1 Samuel, is that not what Saul did? King Saul was convinced that he had did what Samuel told him. He even says, what you and your God wanted, I did it. And Samuel says, but why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? Yeah. So in essence, when we look at that, we can see he did not kill him dead, but he lost the kingdom. He was no longer going to be king because he did not hear and adhere to what God wanted done. Our rejoicing should come in the fact is that Christ did it and he gave us the Holy Spirit and he is our divine enabler. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the living God. He knows the things that are acceptable unto God. So when we surrender, give ourselves to God and follow him, he leads us on the path of righteousness. Even if he leads us to the wilderness, even if he leads us, it will not lead us to displease God. He will lead us always to please God. And that is the offering that God is looking for. That is, that keeps us from presenting strange fire before him. God, here's what I want you to understand. When you read the scripture, amen. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And this in bringing the strange fire, Moses' son, uh, two sons, God bought his righteous judgment and his righteous judgments do not change. So when we want to know how does God feel about something, go to the scripture and see what he did. And if he did and responded to that, then know what he's doing now. And he tells us in the New Testament that now he is putting it in the wine press. He's literally stuffing it until the day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord, all the wrath of all the years of all the things are going to come forward. How does God feel about strange fire? He doesn't like it. How does God feel in essence, breaking it down, we doing it our way and then say, God, but I present it. I, got, I bought this to you. You should be happy. You should be satisfied. That's not how he operates. He is the God of standards. He is the God of order. He's the God of discipline and he disciplines us because he loves us. Um, I just wanted to say one thing. Um, I really, you know, Leviticus is not one of my favorite, and it is difficult to read. But I thank God for the time that we're spending in it, and all the and getting the understanding of it. Um, when I was reading about what um, Aaron's sons did, I was trying to imagine what 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 were they doing. I could not I could not picture it. You know, I, I read it more than once. I kept trying to say, what exactly did they do and what should they have done? I mean, hearing it now, it, it, uh, I understand they didn't do as God had told them to do it. But I still couldn't picture what they did. And if somebody can kind of, I mean, did anybody else, can you picture what they did? Because that's what I, when you, when you, we don't know that culture, so we're not, used to the things and the rituals or whatever they had to do. So I kept in my mind, because I'm a visual person, I kept trying to see exactly what they did. I mean, and that was really, I mean, that was drastic. I mean, <laughs> I was like, oh my, you know? It was difficult. It's difficult to read it. It's difficult to hear the things that they had to do to get to this place. And I thank God for Jesus. Uh, and that we, you know, we don't have to do that. We didn't have to do that to that, to that, um, because that is difficult. I hope You're I'm right. not talking crazy, but that's to me, I was like, I read it, I read it, I read it more than once. And I'm like, what in the world did they do? There's a, there's a clue in the, in the Hebrew word there for strange is uh, foreign, profane, and also brings a connotation of it's unauthorized. And these are the priests. And so one thing that I was thinking about, Mary, in the story is, you know, they should have known better. Mm -hmm. God's been working with them for a while. And he's also delineating between some bad practices, you know, from the foreign countries. And he says at different points, like, you know, I don't want you to be engaged in the, in the idolatry in these other nations because they're doing some wicked things like eating blood drinking blood. And he says, for these reasons, they're being vomited out of the, of the land. So don't do those things or you're going to be vomited out. And so, you know, there is a practice that was, I don't know if it was happening here and this is all speculation, but this is in another portion of the Bible, something that was happening 
was people were passing children through fire, uh, worshiping Molech. And so there were pr practices with fire that were definitely not good practices. And I don't know if there was some pagan root there that, that they had picked up in Egypt. But the bottom line is God holds teachers and he holds priests and he holds people in leadership to a different degree of responsibility. Um, and it was it's it is a sobering story. There's another one where God, you know, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in to Jerusalem at one point. We'll read about it later, but he's not supposed to put it on an ox cart. It's supposed to be carried on carried on poles. David puts it on an ox cart and a man tries to steady it because the ark starts to wobble and he touches the ark to keep it from falling and God kills him. Um, this is These are some hard stories that we have to grapple with. It, it has to do with the holiness of God and obedience that, as Sylvia was saying, you know, Saul, uh, you know, he was commanded by God to kill Agag and not take any of the livestock in that story that she, uh, she had reiterated. And, and he, you know, when we do things in our own way, there's consequences sometimes, particularly if there's leadership mantle uh, engaged there. But I was thinking about the word unauthorized because that's when Krista was talking about when Jesus says, depart from me, I, didn't, I never knew you. The things that you did were unauthorized. And I think that's a lesson for us today, you know, Where's the authority to do certain tasks? There are, for example, in the book of Acts, there's a little uh, fortune teller that's following Paul around. She has some kind of a power, a demonic power. Paul, Paul casts that demon out of her. We know in another point in time, there's mediums and witches because Saul goes and dials up a medium to try and talk to Samuel, who's died. And God strictly forbids any of that type of idolatry, witchcraft seances we know there's people that engage in blood sacrifice in different parts of the world so god strictly forbids that um and if we go down that path i think there's consequences to it um so i don't know if this is helpful at all to you mary but i think that word unauthorized is a really key one as we talk about that word strange that this was they were bringing something that that god had told them this is not the way i want it done Amen. And, and the scripture says they presented their own fire. They presented their own. So again, he's telling us that they did it their way instead of the prescribed way. God was going to. And as you look in the scripture in Leviticus, you'll see again that he's the one that brought the fire down. It is no different than in the book of Exodus when they find the individual who on the Sabbath, because he's commanded that the Sabbath is holy, even says that nothing that you are concerned about, you are to do on that day, not just work, but anything that is of a necessity. They find a man that's getting firewood, firewood. He must have been cold. So he's getting some wood for the fire. They bring him, hold him, take him to Moses. Moses said, let me consult the Lord and see what he says. God said that you are to stone him so that all will see and there'll be no sin among you. So again, what he was doing was taking them out and away from their pagan customs and rituals, familiarity. There are many things that we, how does this apply to us? We have been desensitized. 
We've been desensitized to the things that God is sensitive to. And so we don't think anything about it. You know, when God goes in and he says, after a child is born, seven days, whether it's a male or female, but if it's a male, in order for it to be clean, you got to spend another 33 days. We say, what in the world? God, suddenly you don't like women? You don't want to give us the ability to have children. Now we can't come into the temple. Amen. If it's a girl child, then that's double. We've been so, because our custom teaches us about, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, unequal treatment and all of these. So we may be thinking some things that have caused us not to be able to see fully and understand how God sees and what God is doing. They were no different. Again, they had been in Egypt for over 400 years. And that after Joseph and that generation died off, at some point in time, they probably stopped looking to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they began to look to the God of the Egyptians. When you look in Exodus and you see the initial plagues all the way up to the the, the fleas or the lice, depending upon what version you have, they were in that. It's after that that God makes a distinction between the Hebrews and those that are in, Gush, in Gershom. The book of Leviticus is about making a distinction between God's people and the rest of the world so that they would come to see and know that the God of the Hebrews, he and he alone is God. There is no God like the song that we sing. There is no God like Jehovah. That's what God was doing through these people. Remember, God showed his mighty arm and his hand to bring them out. They're in the center. All of those ites still existed. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all of them. And their eyes are focused on what's going on with these people. What is this? We've never seen even Pharaoh said, who is your God that I should obey him? By the time they came out of Egypt, they knew who their God was and why everybody should obey. So God is now getting them into a place in a position where everyone would be able to see the distinction between his people and everyone else. And they would want that God because they saw the radical transformation of the Hebrews. Saints, that's the way it's supposed to be with you and I. When we come to Christ, should be radical that they should see a distinction between those that are in Christ. Because Ephesians says over and over, we ought to be in Christ, in Christ, than those that are not. Our ways should not be their ways. Why? Because our ways are to be the ways of God. Glory be unto God. God's ways. And this is what God is doing in Leviticus. See, Leviticus is not the first of them receiving laws. No, God had been giving them laws all along the way. The Jews today said there is 613. And how they remember the same numbers as the seeds in a, in a pomegranate. 613 laws is what they overall, they are given. 
So this isn't just about the book of the law. They've been given laws all along. Now this is about how God is going to make a distinction so that they will know he is holy and his people are too. That the ways of the pagan, if you look at Leviticus 18, it specifically addresses some pagan ways and God does not want them to behave like that. And as a result of that, again, he's bringing them out. I want you to visualize God was setting them apart. He was setting them apart for himself. We have been called to be set apart for God. Pastor well, Sylvia Dietra and um, Mike B have had their hand up. Just wanted to make sure we call on them. Amen. I don't know whose hand went up first, but either one of you feel free to go ahead and chime in. And then the other one can follow. Thank you. Ladies first. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you, Mike B. <laughs> Let me put my screen on. Um, I just wanted to add, I think that the discussion is um, really, really good. And um, I just want to add to it, not that I'm refuting anybody's comments, because I think that they were all correct. So 2 Samuel 6, and, and those, the teachers that are on could help me with some of the laws and things with it and a little bit better. But in this particular, I, I think I heard Mary say, you know, she really couldn't find out what he did wrong. Um, and a lot of times it's not so much something wrong in our eyes because the Bible tells us that a man's way seemeth right in their own eyes. Like we think, well, I, I went to church and I helped this one or I did that or I, I was in the choir, whatever, whatever the case may be. So in, in 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter, there's a story about David trying to bring the ark of God back, getting it back from the Philistines and everything. I don't want to go into that. Maybe Pastor Sylvia or, or Pastor Jed or Krista uh, can. And long story short, they got the ark of God on the oxen and they get to the threshing floor where there's like a little dip or a little hump, I should say, not a dip, a little hump. And the oxen stumble over the little hump of the threshing floor and the ark of the covenant is tilting it's 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 shifting and it's leaning and it looks as though it's falling and it's going to fall and possibly it could have fallen and then Uzzah what he does is because he's in the processional of bringing this ark back because it's a, it's a grand parade and it's a grand he sees it and out of his good gesture, not doing anything wrong, out of his good gesture, he reaches out and he shifts the ark back up and he puts it back on the oxen so that it doesn't fall on the ground. And everybody's like, yay, Uzzah saved the day. Yay, it didn't fall on the ground. We saved the ark. And then the scripture says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And immediately he fell dead right there in front of the ark. Everybody is confused. And they have the same question like Mary, what did he do wrong? 
I mean, like, I, I didn't even see what was wrong with that. I thought he was trying to be helpful. I thought he did a good thing. And so every good thing is not a God thing if you are not instructed to do that thing. And so a lot of times, I think somebody else said it, and I kind of reiterating that we get caught up in tradition and we get caught up in religion and we get caught up in things that look churchy or look godly or, or look like God might be pleased with it. But in all actuality, if it's not according to, like Pastor Sylvia, Pastor Jed and Krista say, the instructions, and I, and I think uh, Pastor Jed used the word, I don't I remember if it was unlawful um, to be done that way because the only person that was able to touch the Ark of the Covenant was the priest at the time. And again, Pastor Sylvia, Pastor Jed or Krista can correct me, um, but the, the thing was, he was not authorized, unauthorized, that might've been the word Pastor Jed used, unauthorized, he was unauthorized. So he did a good thing, but every good thing in the sight of God is not acceptable. And it's considered strange to God. And then I wanted to leave this with, um, you know, Pastor Sylvia even saying, bringing it into our present moment. In Matthew 5, we're given instructions that if we have an alt, against our brother, meaning a problem, an issue, a concern, um, unforgiveness or bitterness, or I'm feeling some type of way, or, you know, she didn't speak to me and I don't know what that's all about, but I'm not gonna say nothing about it. Whatever it is, he said, if you have an alt, a problem, an issue, a concern, or anything that's causing your heart to be a little tweaked toward your brother or your sister, he said, leave your gift. Don't even offer this fire. Don't, don't just bring me anything with an impure heart, any old kind of way. And so basically, don't even really come to the altar and touch the altar like touching the ark of God. And you know that you're not speaking to your brother or sister, or you know that you, you know, there's some kind of rift. He said, leave the gift here. Go reconcile. Get that straight first. Don't offer that strange fire unto me. And some of us think, well, God knows my heart and, 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 you know, you don't know what they did to me and I'm really hurt and I'm really just talking about unforgiveness at this particular moment. But even having fire that's sent up and, and wrapped in unforgiveness, it starts sending up a stench and odor comes out of the fire. Um, and it, it's like the smoke, he said, it's, I don't, I'm not sure what that smell is. I'm not, it's, a, it's, it's not a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God when it's offered and it's tainted and it's unpure and it's with, with uh, you know, unclean hands when we're gossiping and backbiting. Somebody did something to us, we make a phone call and now we gotta tell somebody else about what they said and what they did and how they did it. And then you wanna go to the Lord, strange fire, that's impure. So, you know, a, a lot of it is just making self inventory and the word of God is all the instructions that we need on what details he wants us to have and surely are we going to fall and stumble from time to time yes but we need to be crucifying this flesh daily so that we're not the one offering up strange fire and then when our prayers are not being answered we're going why what did i do i don't even know what i did wrong i don't even see what i did wrong i don't even understand what i did wrong it might not look wrong in your eyes but unto god it was wrong. It was out of order. It was out of his instructions. It was unlawful. It was unauthorized. So I just wanted to add that on tonight. Amen. Thank you.
I just want to say that's personally, that's a blessing to me. I, I, I love that. I love that. I had to live that today. So that, that's, a, that's a blessing to me. And to know that uh, if you're coming to offer a sacrifice, may it be authorized. God, come into the presence of the God with bitterness in your heart. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, sister. Amen. Mike B., you had a comment? Yes. Hi, Pastor Sylvia. Hi, Krista. Hi, everyone. Um, you know, when I was, I've read that phrase, strange fire, many times, and I've gone through it in my mind many times. And um, and then Uzza also, um, I think one of the main things that I've been thinking about lately is, is that, is where is the fear of God in all of this, mm. you know? And so, it's like, I think the word says that it's the fear of God that's the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And when you think of some of these, you know, those two instances that we just went over, a strange fire, I mean, they went up into the altar with a strange incense that they offered on their own. And it's like there was an arrogance there. And I think arrogance is kind of the way that you would describe a lot of today's pastors and ministries is that there's, it, there just doesn't seem to be any type of fear of God whatsoever. And when you look at somebody like King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he had a fear of God and, you know, over and over and over again, you can see the fear of God that David had. He, and that was, what made him a man after God's own heart. And so in this today's day and age, if they had just one time where, you know, one of these pastors that get up and say these crazy things or do these crazy things in ministry were to be struck dead by God, you know, then maybe we would have some kind of revival. But we're, we're also, you know, in the age of grace where that stuff doesn't happen anymore at this point. So um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I think the fear of God is really such an important thing for us to focus on and to be because we don't have these things like we had in the Old Testament where somebody would drop dead like that. Um, and the, and we are, we're the remnant, and we're the ones that are supposed to show the rest of the world the fear of God. So that's all I really wanted to say. Amen. Well, we appreciate that. But I want to make a few quick comments. And then if there's someone else there, and I don't see. First of all, is that when you look at the story that both Jed and uh, Deidre recounted, if you go back in 1 Samuel, you will see that what David did and how he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant to God is the same thing that those that were in fear because God had messed with Dagon, he had messed with the Philistines, that's exactly what they did. So here's what I'm telling you. It was a pagan custom. It was a pagan thing to do. And God does not want us to take pagan things and present them to him and call them holy. It just does not work, amen. He had laid out specifically that it was to be carried, the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried by the priest and that was not what's done. He went and took exactly what the Philistines had done. Remember, they had captured, and if you don't, we'll get there, keep reading. They had captured the Ark of the Covenant when Eli's sons were doing all kind of horrible stuff. And they went into battle. They thought, oh, surely God is here. The scripture even says that the Philistines were afraid. They were afraid. They said, never has this happened. What does this mean? 
God was not there to defeat the Philistines. He was there to ensure that Israel was defeated. And after he messed with them, the Philistines, they said, mm -mm, we've got to get this God out of here. And they said, put him on a cart, a brand new dude. Da, 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 da. And if it is their God, then it'll go right back to where it came from. But if it's not, then we'll know. Well, it went right back. Well, maybe that story had been passed down. And David, who was a leader and the priest who should have known better, which goes into Jed's point, that leaders and teachers, that's why it tells us in the New Testament, not everybody should want to be a teacher. Don't you know you're going to be judged at a higher level? Glory be unto God. They should have known better. So therefore, God brought the judgment to say whether it was Moses's two sons or now, I don't appreciate strange fire that is a result of pagan practices. <laughs> then the other thing that I wanted to share and say is that in Mount Sinai, when they had their first encounter in the book of Exodus, and God was coming down to speak to the people, it says fire was all over the mountain. The mountain was quaking, there was an earthquake and all of those things. Fear of the Lord came upon the people. The Bible says all they could do was fall down and bow before him and they worship. But here's an interesting thing that Moses came back and said. He said, the Lord did that to test you, to prove you, amen, that you may fear him and not sin against him. I will challenge you again to realize and know that God's standards have not changed. And Christ did not die so that he could be used as an excuse for us to continue to live in sin and to practice pagan practices and call them Christian and devote them to God. It does not work. He still, from Leviticus all the way through, even into the book of Revelation, he is working to bring a distinction between his people and the people of the world. That's why he told us, be holy for I am holy. I, I have set you apart so that the world can see you through me. And you have been called for my glory and to walk in not your righteousness, but through Christ Jesus, we became the righteousness of God, amen. And we should not defile that. We must understand the difference between clean, unclean, holy, unholy, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, and what is pleasing and acceptable unto God. God will not, and he shall not. That's why he had to do what he did to Christ, because he will not lower his standards. No, he's, he won't. But he gave us a means through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we could meet in which he is requiring, because it's not we that do it, but he that do it through us. Anyone else, comments, questions? Uh, Pastor Sylvia, Terrence has his hand up, but I did wanna let everybody know we have passed 8.30 and we do want to honor the time frame for our meeting. We, uh, It's a one hour meeting, so you're released if you need to go. Um, but if you'd like to stay on with us, we are um, going to continue on until nine o'clock. So praise the Lord. So I don't know. I don't know how much time we would have to discuss this point, but I wanted to shift gears a little bit to 
Uh, question number one, because um, uh, why does God make a difference between intentional and unintentional? And the two words the Lord placed in my heart was relationship and mercy. You see, uh, I think in our relationship, because God already knows who he, who we are in our very nature, in our sinful nature, God wanted to use these two, um, uh, 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 these two things that essentially come from our heart. You know, he, he knows what our hearts uh, want to do and how, and, and, and sometimes uh, the, the very motives of our heart. So he knows it. So God really wanted to show himself in both, in both situations. Um, so uh, God would establish himself, as we have all noticed, through his laws to show his people who they are. But will his people always keep the law perfectly? He knows they won't. Some would keep it, some would violate it intentionally and unintentionally. And in that situation, how will God show himself to be? So that's the relationship aspect of it. Like God really revealing himself through the actions of men and how he would react. And in doing so, set the standard of who he truly is. Um, because I know as, as a kid, when our parents would tell us something, we would defy it to test and see how he would react. And based on how our parents reacted, we would then set the precedence for next, for next time, you see. So God in his holiness would use um, our, our, our behavior, uh, whether intentional or intentional, to truly reveal himself. Uh, I remember Pastor Silvia just mentioning that, you know, one person would go out to, 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 to pick firewood on the Sabbath and God struck him down. And God had a purpose for that. You see, and, and, and as we read and go further down, I see another, and I see another God's, and I see another way God shows his mercy uh, by saying, okay, if you intentionally do something, when you are giving uh, your, your portions of the land, build sanctuary cities so that those who commit murders unintentionally can go there and find safety. So God is really showing us from what I've read from the Bible, that God is really showing us that he's not a God who really delights in striking down immediately when you when you, when you commit any act of unrighteousness, he who knows the, the motives of your heart will rightfully judge you. And by doing so, you will know him a lot better so that you will not have an, an unhealthy fear of God because there is this fear that can push you away from God. But there is that other fear that God wants, like uh, Pastor Sylvia mentioned, a fear that will turn you away from sin, thereby, you know, saving you uh, from the wrath of God himself. So, uh, you know, God showing his mercy through that and establishing his relationship with his people so that they would know who he is if they are to break his laws, whether intentionally and unintentionally. So that's what I got from that phase. Amen. Anyone else want to chime in on that? Well, Pastor Sylvia, this is Phyllis. I just want to say that it really gives me new insight into Matthew whenever the Lord at the end times when he divides um, people's people and people, and there's going to be many people say, but Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And he's going to say, depart. I never knew you. And I really think that all of the discussion that we're having right now is just insight into, into that scripture because people want to do it their own way and Amen. they want it to be acceptable, but Amen. it's not. Amen. And Phyllis, you're so correct because see, what we have to understand is that our culture may have changed and what is acceptable to the culture is not acceptable unto God, amen. It's not, God has his standards 
And again, he's not going to lure them so that we can meet them. Amen. But he gave us a means, and that is Christ Jesus who bore it all so that we could willingly uh, be able to receive what God has already done. Amen. And his stance, whether it comes to fornication, adultery, uh, all of those things have not changed, but our culture has. And as a result of that, some of, we have too, because there are things that 20 years ago, we'd have been like, mm -mm, no way that can't be happening. You know, witchcraft, you know, we, we have where it's being demonstrated in and on the pulpits and it's okay. And the churches are full, but God has not changed and nor has his standards. And what he means by intentional and unintentional is, again, as Taryn said, I've already determined, premeditated that I'm going to do you harm. I'm going to do you danger. But God understood this too, because the unintentional that he's talking about is not me making a mistake. We all, I believe, want to please God. But there's sometimes when we miss the mark. Amen. My heart is pure. I love him, but I miss the mark. God, Jesus told us this. Love your enemy. Bless him who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Well, I can miss the mark because there are times when it might hit me. And everything in me knows because he said it, I want to obey, but I cannot pray for you. I got to work through this thing. There's a process. See, I've unintentionally gone against what he's commanded me to do. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Amen. Sometimes we miss the mark. And in Leviticus, that's what he's highlighting, not when we make a mistake, because again, holiness is not, I am perfect. None of us are. We are perfected in Christ Jesus. But the unintentional is that sometimes I have the very best intentions, but I simply miss the mark. There's a difference, and God knows the difference between I intentionally set out because my heart is hardened and now I want to destroy my brother and my fellow man. There is no recourse for that other than if you regroup, repent, ask God to forgive you. But murder is different than if I kill someone because the, the axe head fell off when I was trying to chop the tree down and it killed my brother. That's where he made and provided the houses of refuge for the unintentional, I missed the mark. Anyone else? Comments, questions, thoughts? Yes. Uh, I just, I feel too that it's like a lack of reverence for God. There's a lack of reverence and um, um, the root of, of the strange fire is, or one of the roots is a pride issue. Mm -hmm. And that we, we don't approach the word of God. This is not suggestions. Amen. It is not to be approached as suggestions. It's supposed to be approached as holiness. Mm. The word says, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. That we, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I, I think it's, a, 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 you know, we, yeah, that's it. That's it. Amen. I hope you all were able to hear. 
Yes, we could hear. Okay. Anyone else? Comments, thoughts? Well, this is another direction also, but um, I just wanted to bring up what Pastor Jed, he did a breadcrumb video and he was um, speaking on um, the uh, diseases and how incredible it is, how God revealed himself and his wisdom. And before science caught up with the word of God, he had laid out in his word the way to um, identify certain diseases and how to handle mold and different things. And, you know, what Jed was explaining, actually, Jed, could you just highlight your explanation really quickly? Because I just thought it was so amazing. And if, if everybody didn't watch those breadcrumb videos or that particular one, I just thought that is one that is really awesome that it's right here in God's word. It's just evidence of God. You know, to me, I just feel like it's one of those confirming things, but for those who might question is all of this real, you know, it's, it's one of those things we can also point to, to say this, how would it be even fathomably possible that, you know, 3000 years ago, this could be written down and proven true through science and medicine today before science and medicine figured it out. So Jed, can you speak into that for a second? Sure. The, the idea is basically, you know, uh, before microbiology and epidemiology existed, you know, if, if God really was with Moses, then the science should hold up. And that's exactly what we find today is that, you know, microbiology bacteriologists uh, can look at it and say that the way that God tells Moses to tell the people to handle skin infections, for example, or even circumcision on the eighth day, there's a specific blood coagulant. Uh, that's occurring at the eighth day is, is the right day to circumcise a male child. Um, that's the safest for that child. So, you know, e Egypt was the most uh, medically advanced culture of the time. And they found have found manuscripts of some of the treatments that they had. And it was actually uh, some of their treatments were horrifically, you know, obviously you can imagine being back in, the, in that time where they're, you know, actually poisoning people because they're thinking, you know, we need to bleed them or, or pus is a good thing. And we need to actually infect wounds so that the wounds become, you know, more oozing with pus. Sorry for being a little graphic, but you know, this causes infections and, and many people were dying in Egypt where obviously Moses came from, but the, the ordinances in the, in the scriptures are pretty remarkable in that they hold up under medical scrutiny today. So what I'm going to do, instead of going through the list, for that breadcrumbs video, I was just, I went on and, and looked it up online. I'm going to post in the uh, chat a link to an article, and then you guys can just copy and paste that link on your own and go read this article. Really remarkable, um, fairly lengthy, but goes through a lot of different things that just scientifically are impressive uh, in terms of what God was giving Moses. So let me, let me take care of that for you, okay? So back to you, Pastor Sylvia. All right. Well, thank you. Anyone else? Any comments, questions, or thoughts? I do want to make a comment. Yes, please. Um, first, I want to say thank you to all of you. Um, you're doing a wonderful job. Um, I can't imagine doing this. I can't imagine um, trying to figure out how to say this. I'm, I thank God for this being doing this time. Uh, seeing the Bible so much differently when you're doing it with other people and hearing uh, what God has given you from, from scripture. 
And mm -hmm. I am doing the breadcrumbs every day. I, I enjoy every one of them. I'm taking notes. I'm excited. And I just want to say that 2022 is making a difference in my life because this is not my first time reading the Bible, but being able to hear God speak through all of you and give us so much, I call it nuggets every day. I get nuggets every day and it's priceless. I just wanted to let you know that. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank and you. I do want to mention really quickly for those that might not be familiar with breadcrumbs, there are videos posted every day on the homepage at tourofTruth.com. And that's um, from one of the facilitators, myself or Pastor Jed or Pastor Sylvia. And we'll just highlight our thoughts five minutes or so, sometimes 10 or 15, but um, trying to kind of um, uh, highlight what the Lord might have shown us as we were reading the same thing you're reading in the reading plan. So if you're not watching those um, daily, I just want to make sure you know that they're available for you. Amen. I know that we're almost out of time, so we appreciate all your participation. But in reading, I do want to highlight were non Jews allowed to participate in these sacrificial systems? Were non-Jews allowed? Amen. Well, I think that must be, that is going to be your homework assignment. Glory be unto God. You go back and read some more. Amen. Because it is there. Praise God. Uh, amen. Uh, again, as I started uh, this, I can truly tell you that I too, when I would read the Bible and I, because people told me, don't read that. Leviticus is boring. I still know people today who never read the book of Leviticus. But when I came to saying, God, I want to get serious about your word. I want to read it. And Holy Spirit, take me through and show me how to do it. And God just began to reveal because that's what he wants to do. Reveal himself to each of us through his word. There are no books that he put in the Bible of all 66 that have no benefit and no purpose for you and I today as it did back then. Learn to grow and gleam because he wants you to understand every book gives us a greater um, revelation of who he is, his ways, his thoughts, his character, all of those things so that we can better be able to relate and walk in relationship. God did not want to uh, rule them by laws because as we discussed last week, Laws don't change people, but relationship does. Revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Leviticus applies as much today to us as it did then. And from this aspect, again, it is because we're able to see Christ, Christ, Christ. But then we're also able to understand that, um, you know, God does not want us participating in pagan practices and believing that they are of him when they are not. God has a standard and he has conditions and he wants us and has given us the ability to be able to meet them. 
Well, Krista, it looks like everyone is pondering. They are in deep thought and in deep meditation. So I don't want to per, uh, prohibit the Holy Spirit from taking them further and deeper in what he wants to reveal. So I say that we uh, allow either, uh, uh, well, J Jed started us. So how about you close us out in prayer and then let them go and get with God so he can take them deeper because deep calls unto deep. Amen. I'm happy to. Father, thank you so much for this fellowship tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the conversation. And I just pray, Lord, that you will continue um, to lead us even as we uh, depart from one another, Lord, that you would lead us in your word and lead us in all truth. Father, as you are revealing yourself to us, um, as we're abiding in your word, and Father, we thank you for your deliverance. We thank you, Father, for what you've done for us on the cross. We know we can come no other way, but through you, we know that you paid it all, Father. We know that you are worthy. You are the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. And Father, we exalt your great name. We lift your name on high, and you tell us in your word that if we will lift your name up, that you would draw all men unto yourself. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We know your word does not return void. Lord, we just give you honor and glory. And we ask you, Father, to continue to be with us. I pray, Father, that you would watch over the saints uh, that have come onto this call, Father, that you would continue to help us grow in unity in the same uh, mind that you have, you, to give us the mind of Christ, Father, that you would help us um, as we walk one another home, Lord, as we're walking together through your word, Lord, that you would give us what we need each day. Nothing more and nothing less, Father, but we ask that you give us what we need. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to draw those who need to come into our fellowship, Father. We pray, Father, that you'd send them in, Lord, because we know that time is short, Father. So we, we pray, Father, that you would draw all men to yourself through us, Lord, that you put on our hearts, Father, who we're supposed to speak to, who we're supposed to share with, Lord, that you would um, help us, Lord, each one of us to be disciples who make disciples. Father, we know that that's what you're calling us to do. You've already told us and laid it out in your word that we are to go out and to teach, to make disciples of all nations, to teach them to do all that you have commanded. And so, Father, we just thank you that you're working in us and through us. We never want to get ahead of you, Father, but we want to be right in step with what you're calling us to do. And so, Father, we just thank you for this time and pray that you will bless each person as we go, protect and watch over them. And Father, give us all peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we, you leave, I just want to make sure one thing that I said and that I bring clarity. Jesus knew no sin. He became sin for you and I. But people teach that he became a sinner. That's the point I was addressing. He did not become a sinner. He, he became sin. It was imputed onto him because of us. But Christ never sinned and he never will. Amen. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.